I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. In the previous episode, we met Alison Zhou, who shared how she entered into the tattoo industry, the technicalities of fine line tattooing, and what her own personal tattoos mean to her. She also discussed the research that's needed before she even begins creating her art. And today's guest agrees. I think for me, it's, it's more like reading, knowing what the, what the manga or the anime is is more like the inspiration uh they tell me what it does then i have to go look for it and do research about it make sure that i know the story behind it make sure that i sort of understand why the client is getting this piece so for example with the film with bruce i spent a lot of time reading his older design books i was looking a lot at um, architecture in different stages when they were thinking about future uh, I was online a lot so I would do a lot of uh, re- uh, googling on you know visuals and imagery allow me to officially introduce you to today's guest Lillian Chan Lillian Chan is a Toronto-based animator and filmmaker with a focus on children's content and programming she designs for clients like Disney Kid Koala and Nelvana Her short films have won several awards, including the public prize at both the Ottawa International Film Festival and Anima Mundi in Brazil. Along with short films, she has worked on independent features, animated documentaries, and most recently, interactive VR. Lillian is a recent graduate of the Master of Digital Media program at X University. Her research focuses on the use of cozy games and character-driven story worlds to create effective tools for pediatric voice therapy. In our conversation, Lillian and I discuss her creative work for children and adults alike, her non-linear creative process, and the deep appreciation she feels when she experiences moments of solitude to create. So my name is Lillian. I'm an animation filmmaker who works out of Toronto, Canada. Um, I've been doing animation for over 15 years now. I studied classical animation um, and then I moved into creating auteur films with the National Film Board and independently. I also freelance in animation uh, within the city and online as well. I've done illustration work, I've done design work. Um, I've also moved into some teaching. So I teach at Seneca College animation, the animation program. Um, So I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. Um, I also have two kids and um, I met, uh, I met Diana through the MDM program because I got my master's last year looking at uh, games and digital tools for pediatric health. So kind of shifting all over the place now as I mature in my career. Incredible. You do it all. 
I'm in uh, awe of, just barely. of you doing it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so neat. All of the different kind of little, or I shouldn't say little, but projects that you have your hands in and, and yeah. they all, I think, interconnect in interesting ways. So do you have any kind of unique projects or things that you've been working on lately that you're really proud of? Yeah. Um, well, so I did a few actually within the last couple of years um, that I found really interesting. One was with the National Film Board. They were interviewing some prominent figures in the Canadian landscape, and they asked me if I wanted to create a film uh, with Bruce Mao, who is a very prominent designer. And it was an incredible one-hour interview that we cut down to three minutes, and then I created animation for it. Uh, but I found that all of my interests were fired on this project because Bruce is such an incredible thinker. We were talking about the future of cities. It involved this idea of future planning, of engagement, of sustainability. And then on top of all that, the challenge of actually condensing all of this into something that would be uh, understandable and engaging in a very short amount of time and animating all of it. Um, it was just a great project for me. So I had a really good experience with that. Um, and then also my master's project, a research project, which was about creating tools for voice therapists who work with children. Uh, I was thinking of game design and how to make things playful in a way that helps children learn a specific clinical technique that they use within the therapy process. So I, I love this place that I'm in now where I'm kind of adapting what I'm doing to um, very different areas of interest. And I enjoy the challenge of figuring out how to make things work in an unconventional space. So I'm curious to know, what did you find in the completion of your, your major research project? That, uh, yeah, what, what, what were your solutions? I'm so curious. Yeah, so my solution, I can kind of show you, I guess you can't see it in a podcast, but my solution was actually like a little game box. Um, because there's a lot of physical um, techniques that the children need to do that involve blowing with cups and straws and things. So we put all of the tools that they would need in the kit. And then I designed creatures that you could collect by doing the exercises. So mm. you kind of can't see them here, but each creature actually represented a different type of exercise. But they were like Pokemon, they would evolve. So you could uh, get more more interesting and evolved creatures by continuing the exercise and continuing to um, befriend all of these different animals, animals, monsters. So it, it was a really fun. We actually did test it out too with, with a few children just, uh, you know, to see if the design was working. And they had a really fun time with it. My kids also gave me a lot of ideas and suggestions. And yeah, it was a really interesting prototype that we made at the very end of the of the project. And I was going to ask you that, what role did your children play in all of this, this stuff for your master's, all of this research for your, your master's degree, but also just in your everyday work? Yeah, well, so my son is eight now, my daughter is four, and he is, he's a really cute, he's really into Pokemon, but into naming conventions. Um, so with my master specifically, he was always asking me what I was doing, and he helped me come up with some of the names for these creatures. Uh, I have a diagram of that he helped me draw with the evolutionary traits of these um, these <laughs> these um, monsters, and it was just fantastic to see his his mind working. And 
because the things that I do are often for children, there's a kind of sim simple childlike quality to the things I do naturally. So to incorporate that with an eight-year-old uh, just made it all the more fun and, and felt very relatable. It felt like something that um, I knew could work for children that I'm targeting within my design. How would you describe your artistic style? Mm. Well, definitely cute would be a main word. I think no matter how hard I try, everything I draw usually ends up looking very cute. So I do have a, a cute nature to what I do. Um, it's also, I would say, very nuanced and subtle. I don't really, I'm not like a very bold, you know, bright, hard, you know, hard-lined artist. I think things I do t tend to be more gentle and more soft. It's changing, I feel, too. Like, I don't feel like I have like a really hard set you know definition of what what I my style necessarily is um, but definitely on the softer cuter side I think that would be the best description just like your monsters and your Pokemon you are evolving yeah. ever evolving <laughs> ever evolving yeah. <laughs> I love that I'm really curious to know also, what does your creative process typically look like? And I know things will probably change project mm -hmm. to project, the specifics, but when you're thinking about a new project that is sitting on your desk, mm -hmm. how do you approach this from a creative perspective? Mm -hmm. That's a great question because I find, because the projects that I do are often very different in their nature, there's there's always a problem solving aspect to it. Like there's always something that the client is trying to achieve and a lot of moving parts. And it does take me a considerable amount of time at the very beginning to just think like, I'm not even drawing. I'm not, I'm just, <laughs> I'm getting coffee and doing laundry and I'm just thinking through what the, what the actual brief is of my, of my client work. Um, so for example, with the film with Bruce, I spent a lot of time reading his older design books. I was looking a lot at um, architecture in different stages when they were thinking about future. Uh, I was online a lot. So I would do a lot of uh, uh, Googling on, you know, visuals and imagery. Um, and then I find I end up needing to see things written down in front of me so it involves like a very large sheet of paper and a lot of drawing a lot of notes um it's almost like i need to filter my brain onto a sheet like onto a visual page and then it takes probably usually a week or two weeks to just process while i'm doing my daily chores taking my kids to work i, I find that at that point i will come up with like my my subconscious will actually start putting things together for me that makes sense and then uh yeah at some point I will kind of condense all the stuff together and create the thing the the framework of the of the project that I'm supposed to do whether that's an animatic or a sketch or some kind of uh movie reel to describe what's happening um but yes almost all my projects start that way so I have a lot of notebooks I have a lot of random pieces of paper floating around everywhere and then and slowly that gets refined. Lillian this is very very relatable for me because <laughs> this is I feel like this is exactly my creative process yeah. I need things to marinate I need things to just kind of sit and and work their magic in my subconscious and yeah. after with enough time and with enough walking and with enough thinking and with enough 
scribbling down ideas, things start to fit together. So this is completely relatable for me. Yes. Sleeping too. I feel like if I go to bed, my brain will do some work while I'm in bed and then it'll, it'll be better in the morning. Usually the ideas come after a good, a good, a good night's rest. Now, speaking of sleeping and getting a good night's sleep, what gets you excited to get out of bed in the morning and do what you do? (laughs) Um, Well, I think the nature of what I do is always revolving around creating ideas and artwork. Um, I'm usually most excited when it's a project that I feel very, very passionate about. Um, So I think that gets me out of bed is the possibility of creating something, the possibility of making work. Um, Also, my kids go to school now. So that really motivates me. It's like, oh, I can send them to learn and be educated. But then I also have this time now where I can really be dedicating it to creating artwork. And I love it. I forget how much I enjoy drawing and designing until I really get into it. So maybe maybe my kids get me motivate me to get out of bed, but then it leads me to actually realizing how much I enjoy the work that I do. And that's so relatable for me as well <laughs> yeah. because my kids are are now in school for the first time as well, and mm-hmm. it is. I mean, we're obviously we were all kind of thrown off our rocker and in, in yes. during the pandemic and childcare and work and responsibilities and, and learning and school like there was just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And now that I have this kind of block of time in my day, I'm still I still have places to go, meetings to be at, wherever I need to be. But I usually have a good block of time yeah. that I did not have before yeah. to sit down and create and think and. Uh, do all of these things that I went oh yeah I love doing this This yeah this is where I this is where I excel and this is where I like to be in a day yeah definitely makes you appreciate it too I mean after the pandemic for sure being able to get that is amazing but also I mean I did have a lot of this time before I had kids but I didn't appreciate it as much as like now when you don't have it and you get an hour or two hours comes an incredible spiritual experience well that's just it's it's almost this constraint in the best way possible because Mm -hmm. you have been given this hour or two and this is the 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 jar in which you are to work this hour or two hour block and and I feel like I can I'm that much more motivated to get get things done um and (laughs) and and have as you said it's kind of like this the spiritual experience where you can just do your thing with no one interrupting you (laughs) (laughs) What is the most challenging aspect about being a full-time animator and teacher and everything in the realm that you do? For sure, I think the, the hardest thing is trying to do that and be present for my family at the same time. Um, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm definitely not parent of the year when I uh, think about how much more time I could be just focusing on being present for my kids um so there's a juggle there because I do really love what I do as well and I don't want to I I don't think that I would feel 100% satisfied being solely a caretaker for my kids I do really value both but I feel the pull of those two things all the time and just knowing that it's okay to not 
you know, focus a hundred percent of my time on my work that it's okay to kind of cut that out and enjoy space with my kids. Um, but you kind of let, you have to let a little bit of your ego go. You have to let a little bit of your, your own kind of pursuits go in order to make that balance. Um, but then also not feeling too bad about not being the most present parent as well. Like, I don't, I don't think that you have to guilt, guilt oneself into, you know, always being dedicated to just being that presence for your children. So that is definitely my struggle now. And, uh, I think it will just continue because I, I just go back and forth daily on what is supposed to be the right thing to be spending my time on at a, at any present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you as well. I feel yeah. like, I feel like we could talk about this all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now do you, you work in your home studio, correct? Yes, I do. Well, now we're teaching on, uh, in, in person. So I do two days at the university. Uh, uh, Seneca at York but then when I'm doing my freelance work it's almost all at home and do you find that having that separation I'm just curious uh, from a, mm-hmm. a personal perspective having that separation or having that that work outside of your mm-hmm. personal space is a way to divide and feel less guilty that you are are spending <laughs> time on one thing yeah. versus another well it's funny because I have been freelancing almost my entire uh my entire career. So I, I did go to Montreal to create films. And at that time I was working at the NFB studio, but I think shortly thereafter, I was always freelancing from home. I would periodically go into studios to work there, but uh, as the years went on, it was more and more remote work. So I feel very comfortable having this space at home to do my work. And I, the lines were very blurry for the a very, very long time. I think the point where it felt a little bit unmanageable was when my son was home with me. Like he wasn't at a daycare. He was still, you know, a baby. And I was still trying to juggle all those things. And we tried to bring in a uh, nanny to come to watch him for a certain number of hours so that I could get the work done. But the fact that there was just that, presence there at the same time really made it hard to cut cut that line make a very very clear line so I found I don't know I've never really had much of an office studio outside of home Um, the teaching I'm just teaching so I go in and at this point too because they're still keeping the social distancing there's not really workspace in the lab you go in you teach and then you leave Um, so yes, it does create a separation, which is good, but it's not really my creative space. Um, I have yet to know what that feels like, you know, to have an actual studio, like a, a defined separated studio, you know, apart from where I live and eat and sleep and everything. Yeah. So do you want to hear what I did? Yeah, I want to know. I turned my daughter's closet into my office. Get out, really? <laughs> I, call, I, I call it my creative cave. And it, it's kind of silly. <laughs> but basically, I just, I, anyway, it's a long story. It but sounds so good. <laughs> it, so it's a, it's a large enough space. It's like maybe five feet by six feet. So it's like a good size walk-in closet. Yeah. And I put up some wallpaper. 
And I put in a little <laughs> fold-down desk, and I put in a chair, and I get good enough Wi-Fi signal. And when I need to, like, close myself off creatively, this is, like, my go-to space. My husband always uh, uh, <laughs> nags at me, and he's like, we have a perfectly good office space downstairs, and why don't you use that? Because I just need a space where I can scroll myself away, be as messy, yes. as creative, as yes. weird as I want to be, <laughs> and yes. know that I'm not interfering or upsetting anyone else by doing it. So, that sounds amazing. Anyway, maybe there's a... <laughs> a child's closet in your near future that you can well it's ironic that you say that because so we live in a condo a two-bedroom condo so my daughter's room is the master bedroom closet (laughs) so it's almost like I have a reverse scenario where I'm like shoved I've shoved a human being to sleep in the room so good but uh yeah no I think that like carving out that little space would be great and yeah I wonder if I can find it but uh I mean I'm not really showing you the rest of my condo but if I just turn the camera about 90 degrees you'd see the living room my husband is working like in the other section and then there's like the dishes and you know laundry is all behind me so it's been one giant room that everything happens in for a really long time yeah now I'm really curious what does the future look like for Lillian Chan like in a perfect world without any constraints which I know is not possible but let's just say hypothetically what would your ideal creative world world of animation your work what would that look like in 10 years time yeah I mean I in an ideal world I would just be able to make things that I get really excited about um especially doing the master's program it helped me just enjoy the process of research and of design without thinking of the uh, the commercial or monetary ramifications of what I'm creating, it it made things very free for me to ideate and, and enjoy the process. Um, so I would love to continue that. I don't think that what I make is very impractical. I think that I, I really savor designing stuff that is useful. So I think that will continue. Um, but yeah, in an ideal world, I would get the time to keep making those things and really thinking of designing and creating for the benefit of whoever it is that's using it and also designing it in a way that I find appealing and, and aesthetically uh, aesthetically pleasing to the eye and I could kind of let go of all those other constraints and get paid lots of money to do it as well yes. that would be my ideal world yes Wonderful. Thank you so much for spending time with us today or spending time with me today, I should say. And, and, uh, and I guess your husband is in the background. So spending time with us, we'll say. And I really, really appreciate your, your kind of uh, openness and candidness about your creative process and your space and your techniques. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Thank you. Among many insights gained, Lillian reminds us about how great it feels to have complete creative control over a project. In the next episode, we meet Sarah Wright, a photographer who shares Lillian's feelings about the joy of creative control and the power of trust. In an ideal world, I would just be able to make things that I get really excited about. It was really nice to have Someone just kind of give you carte blanche and kind of trust you. And, you know, there's there's nothing that's a bigger turnoff for a creative, I think, than micromanagement. So stay tuned. <laughs>